It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to BGN Radio. Welcome to This Week in Fantasy. No, not that kind of fantasy. A little more nerdy, a little less sexy. I mean, is there any doubt that Superman wouldn't be the greatest fantasy baseball player in the world? That's the ticket. John Barchard, and along with my fellow of co-hosts to bring you another edition of This Week in Fantasy. To my right from fftoolbox.com, your wonderful, beautiful-looking Italian man from Chicago. It is Mr. Tony Casali. What's happening, bud? Oh, you know, just living the dream, John. How are you doing? <laughs> living a dream. We're all wearing tuxedos today, by the way. We figured we'd dress up for the podcast, but the one man who went against it is uh, rotowire.com from 97.5 The Fanatic as well. And uh, you can hear his beautiful voice on BGN Radio every week, Mr. James Zeltzer, completely naked. What's happening, buddy? John, I- I'm always completely naked, so <laughs> just, just kind of how I roll. Yeah. This has been fun, though. We're starting to get, like, hate responses to some of the stuff we say, so I'm, yes. I'm really enjoying that. That's everybody, everybody, everybody hated the Le'Veon Bell. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. One person in particular hated the Le'Veon Bell. Hated it! Hated it! Could, I could... love that it was hated. <laughs> so uh, hopefully there'll be a little more hate and a little more love as we go around camp notes. As, uh, I'm just looking at some of the injuries and struggles Two things that popped out. Obviously, the most obvious one, Marvin Jones is out four to eight weeks with his broken foot, I believe it is. Uh, But, you know, you look at the rest of Cincinnati, and it's just possession receivers that are slow. I don't think there's one guy that runs, you know, under a 4-6. And I I don't really know what to do uh, with that. And I I would just assume anybody stays away from Cincinnati. But, Tony, do you have any thoughts on, you know, Sanu or – 
whatever that rookie kid is from Stanford, whoever's hanging out there? Well, I've got, I've got thoughts about him, but they're not great. I mean, everybody's talking about how good of a camp Sanu is having, which almost makes me want to stay away from him a little more. Yeah. I just, I, I can't imagine that these guys are going to be throwing the ball nearly as much as they did last year. It's not in their plan. They're going to be running the ball a lot. And even if they are going to be throwing the ball, A.J. Green's going to be, you know, getting most of it. Look, uh, you know, I I like Marvin Jones. I was one of the I was one of the very very uh, let's do some air quotes lucky uh, people to get him last year after he had his four touchdown game and then proceeded to throw up four goose eggs in a row just four terrible games in a row. <laughs> um, you know, so so I've got my feelings about Marvin Jones as it goes, but not that he's a bad receiver. He'll probably have a a really good year once he gets back in. It's going to take him a little time to get his feet going. I'm not even sure that Marvin Jones is draftable in uh, smaller leagues right now, just because he's gonna. It's going to take him a little time. They're not going to be throwing the ball nearly as much as they did last year with the new regime in place. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I like Jeremy Hill as kind of a, a backup to Gio Bernard. I think they're going to run the ball a little bit more. I, I don't think any receiver on that team, tight end or otherwise, is really worth drafting right now other than A.J. Green. I mean, you know, you hope Tyler Eifert can do something in his second year, but uh, I, I think A.J. Green is still a you know, top three receiver. I think, you know, top four receiver, you take him. I just do agree with Tony. I don't think they're going to be throwing the ball as much. I think they're going to try and pound it with Hill and with Bernard. I, I think Bernard can be a weapon out of the backfield as well. I think you'll see some of that. Uh, and Andy Dalton did have a surprisingly good fantasy season last year by staying healthy and connecting with Green a lot. But um, I, I, I personally, I'm not a big Andy Dalton guy either in real life or fantasy. So I, I kind of look at it as a stay away as well. Yeah, another guy I'm staying away from right now who's uh, just everything I read about him, Tavon Austin. Anybody that's kind of expecting him to, uh, you know, jump and leap in his second year. Eh, probably not going to happen, especially now that Kenny Britt looks like he is kind of rejuvenated and looking back. Obviously, we got to look at preseason games a little bit here and, you know, see the first few weeks of it. But, uh, James, sticking with you, I mean, I, there's really nothing you can do other I just advise people to stay away from him at this point, right? I mean, would you even take a flyer if you're in a dynasty league, keeper league, just to see what happens? Uh, look, I mean, it, it, it all depends on where he would fall to. I, I personally am with you. I'm not a big Tavon Austin guy. I think he's going to be a kind of a feast or famine guy this year. I think he'll have a couple games where he'll put up, you know, 150 yards and two touchdowns because he takes 170 yards to the house. Uh, but I think on a consistent week-to-week basis, you can't trust him at all. I don't trust Sam Bradford, uh, forgetting that he's coming back from an ACL tear. Just Bradford hasn't shown us that he can succeed either on a fantasy level or even a real level in the NFL yet. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of his, even at Oklahoma. I never saw him as the first pick in the draft saying, oh, you know, this guy's going to be a superstar. So uh, I think it all falls down to Sam Bradford and whether he can take a step forward this year. But ultimately, I just don't think you can count on Austin on a week-to-week basis. I don't think Britt's going to be the reason. You know how I feel about that. Once that guy stays on the field for a full season, then maybe I'll believe he can actually do it. Uh, but I just think Austin's too feast or famine for me. He's not someone I'm going to ever be able to trust in a week-to-week basis. And I think he's still got a lot of learning to do as well. So I agree with you. I'm I'm going to stay away from Austin. You never know if he falls super late in a, in a dynasty or something. Maybe I'd consider it. But I'm not a big Tavon Austin fan myself. And we're going to be talking quarterbacks a little bit today as well. As long uh, We're going to continue our discussion on running backs and things. But, Tone, do you, I mean, you kind of have a little 
uh, place in your heart for Sam Bradford right now, don't you? Well, just a little place, and it's got to be qualified, obviously. We're talking about a quarterback that you can take, you know, as the 21st quarterback taken overall. Uh, this is just, you know, in very deep leagues when you're talking about getting your back up late because you've got a really good starter. I do think that he's going to have a better year than some people think, although the, the Tavon Austin thing is sort of sending him back a little bit. Uh, you know, Tavon Austin, he's having a little bit of trouble. I mean, this is a guy, he went eighth overall, and he's not really showing anything. It looks like he's going to do most of his damage uh, in special teams. Uh, and again, uh, James is exactly right. The, the feast or famine thing, which makes him maddening to have on your fantasy team. It's almost, you know, the, those few little spots where he does end up having his, you know, 75-yard breakout touchdown. The only reason why I'd want to have him on my fantasy team at that point is to immediately trade him to somebody who doesn't know any better. <laughs> because it's it's just maddening to have somebody those feast or famine guys on your team. I mean, this guy got a seven on his Wonderlick test. Yeah. I don't think he knows the route tree. He said he couldn't understand the the playbook last year. I don't know if a little extra time is actually going to help him that much. Yeah, I mean, the, I think he could be if if it was in a more simplified offense that they're running over there. I think it could be great. But until until he is no longer a Ram or they get a new offensive coordinator over there. It's pretty going to be pretty bad. We don't want to make it too all dridgy and drappy and crappy. There are some good things that are coming out of uh, different camps and things that have caught my eye. Justin Hunter's name pops up every five seconds. It seems like every time that you, you read a little post or uh, anything fantasy related, Justin Hunter is you know making acrobatic catches during practice and take that for what it's worth because there, there's a lot of things with reporters kind of telling you stuff and it really doesn't matter because. You don't know exactly what they're doing if they run seven on sevens or eleven on eleven, um, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, there was a lot of guys that were on the Kendall Wright uh, type of bandwagon there, Tony, and and I, I don't know—is Justin Hunter kind of sneaking in there, or uh, how do you your feelings on him? Well, you know, he's not a rookie anymore, and that's always a good good place to start. I'm not a big rookie wide receiver guy. I think you know that about me. You know, so he's got a year in the system. Here's the thing. Are you a Jake Locker guy? If you're a Jake Locker guy, then you might be a Justin Hunter guy, too. I'm not really a Jake Locker guy. Uh, I think that they're, you know, I think they're going to get him the ball. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and for where he's going, again, you know, just as James was saying before, he could be a value pick late. I tend to dismiss camp reports of having a really good camp, making really exciting catches. Uh, yeah, that's all well and good. Once you start seeing it in some preseason games, some actual contact, some actual games, then I start to get a little bit, you know, uh, more excited about what can happen. I think we'll get a better look this week uh, and see how he does in non, you know, monsoon type conditions uh, and see how well he plays this week in preseason and through the rest of the preseason before I start scaling him up my uh, draft board. <laughs> yeah, James, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with Tony completely. I, I think Kendall Wright actually getting a little bit underrated. Uh, this guy had 94 catches last season. Uh, granted, the yards per catch average, uh, the lowest in the league uh, of anyone who had 1,000 yards except for Julian Adelman, which makes a ton of sense, only about 11.5 yards per catch. Uh, but even still, I, you know, I think Kendall Hunter is, is going to be the number one guy on that team. Granted, I know he didn't do a lot of that with Locker last season. Uh, but Hunter, I think they like Hunter. Look, he was a second-round pick a couple years ago. He added Tennessee. He's a Tennessee kid. I think they have high hopes for him. I think he's a talented kid. And who knows? You know, I think 
Uh, as Tony said, I'm not a big rookie receiver guy myself. I think it's very rare. You know, you, the A.J. Green, Julio Jones types of guys, uh, you don't see very often. You don't see receivers come into the league and have a, a big impact in year one. So I think the fact that he's got another year in the system, uh, even though it's going to be a new system with Wisenhunt, just another year in the NFL to kind of understand the way it works will help him. Uh, but, you know, changing coaches this year, changing offensive systems, getting Locker back, I wouldn't count on Hunter for too much. I would definitely take right ahead of Hunter, uh, uh, significantly ahead of Hunter this season for sure. The uh, Andre Brown uh, down in Houston cut outright yesterday, which was, you know, who knows what's going on with uh, Houston's running backs. Arian Foster's a big question mark. And, you know, they bring in uh, Jonathan Grimes this year, who's kind of bounced around a couple of times. Again, it's I always think about James Theory, especially with, you know, going back to his fantasy uh, baseball kind of mantra of, hey, if somebody's a closer, they're a closer. If somebody's a running back, they're going to be the running back. Uh, Tony, do you think that Jonathan Grimes kind of fits that mold, uh, depending on Arian Foster's health? I'm not really high on him. He's not too, not a big flashy type of uh, superstar running back, but could he be one of those potential guys that are, you know, the late round take a flyer snag and, be in that top 12 or 15? Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, top 12 <laughs> or 15, I think, might be pushing it a little bit. I don't think he's that dynamic of a runner to get you that kind of production, but I, I certainly think that he can be a productive runner. question is, he still has to get the backup job. I mean, he's the presumptive guy now, but he's still got to beat out Alfred Blue for the second uh, uh, second position there. So that's not a, a done deal yet, but it's definitely something that you should keep an eye on. Uh, Grimes and Blue... Uh, Either one of them. I mean, if you're drafting tomorrow, I would say Jonathan Grimes is your guy because he's the one who uh, is the presumptive backup right now. Late round, yeah, why not? You you like taking the uh, you know high upside guys at, uh, later in the later in the draft. He's definitely somebody to to keep an eye on if you think that uh, their running game is going to be any good. But that's going to be probably uh, the the biggest problem. There is is probably less who he's got in front of him and more the the talent on the running game there because they looked abysmal in their first preseason game and if they can't get it together they're going to have to throw the ball uh in every fourth quarter and it's a little early to be saying that but keep an eye on that offense and see if they can actually run the ball like they used to when Gary Kubiak was there and you know I I I hate to bring it up because Tony has said multiple thousands of times don't trust rookie wide receivers in their first year don't do it it doesn't help you they're not even in their flex it's not going to happen but uh, I've loved him since pre-draft. He's, you know, definitely the number one receiver in Carolina, despite how much I don't like Carolina this year. Kelvin Benjamin has been catching balls, and that was one of his downfalls going into the draft was, you know, he was definitely a, a dropper. But, James, uh, are you – I mean, like, I'm drafting him to potentially be a flex guy. I think he could be. The targets have to go somewhere. So – are you on board with that, or am I just crazy? Well, I, I think we both have agreed on, on other podcasts before that we both think Carolina is in for a down year this year. Uh, I definitely don't think they're going to be 12-4 and four again or anywhere near there. Uh, I, I think Cam, I don't think Cam's going to be the issue. I believe that he's healthy enough to play. Uh, the ankle worries me a little bit, but 
Uh, I'm not too worried about Cam, but I just think the dearth of offensive talent there is is going to be their undoing. I, I agree. I, I get why Kelvin Benjamin is a hot topic this uh, this draft season, why people are excited about him. But he's still a rookie wide receiver, and not just a rookie wide receiver, a rookie wide receiver who came into the league with his big issue being can he run routes, can he understand playbooks, can he hang on to the ball. And I think that all those issues are still there. I, I don't care what I've seen from preseason. Is he their number one target? It, it certainly looks like it, but I, I still don't. I don't subscribe necessarily to the those targets. Those those numbers are going to have to go somewhere. Theory, if they just don't put up points, and I think that that's a far more likely scenario with this Carolina offense. Uh, I think the fact that he went out and had that whatever it was twenty nine yard touchdown catch is his only catch of the first preseason game. Uh, just further fan these flames of of Kelvin Benjamin's going to be the top rookie wide receiver this year. Uh, Though what you did say about Grimes, it does come back to the fact that he does have a job. He is going to start, and I do think Cam's going to look for him because, you know, he doesn't really have anyone else to look for. But ultimately, I'm not playing him in my flex. If I can get him to be my fourth wide receiver, I'm absolutely going to consider that. But uh, I think thinking of him as as even a number three wide receiver or a flex for that matter is a little overboard. I just don't see it. I'm sorry. Tony, do I even need to ask you? Yeah, I don't think I need to really <laughs> add anything to that. You know, if you're the, the only the only thing I would add to that is obviously you move them up your board a little bit. If you've got a dynasty league, I think this kid's got a really good future. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I just, you know, we, we you know, obviously we've talked about it ad nauseum, the, the difficulties in, in learning offenses in the first year. They've got other people there. Granted, it's, you know, Avant and Kadri and, and, and Olsen going to be catching most of the balls. And, and Benjamin's going to certainly be a part of it. But week to week, you, you never know what you're going to get out of a rookie. And and with that, too, I mean, the, in a couple of different theories and philosophies, I think Kelvin Benjamin would be a good ex- a good pickup somewhere. And that's something we wanted to get into. I saw this kind of develop, I guess, in 2011, 2012, somewhere around there, is the zero running back theory. And it's been widely popular, kind of talked about, keeps being brought up, especially this year. I've noticed it more and more. Basically, the theory is is exactly like it says. Don't draft running backs. Do not do it. Uh, the bust rates, you know, for the first rounds are high, you know, uh, and uh, more times than not, your top guys aren't going to finish where they were for the next year. Uh, there is more value, apparently, in getting wide receivers and tight ends and just doing it that way. Um, I, I think it's one theory that is a, a little bit risky to just to my mind, because going into it, I think all of us going into it and reading about it was there's no freaking way that I'm not going to draft a running back. But when you kind of think about it and break it down, you know, there's not the rounds of, you know, four through seven. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was pretty close to 0% of them getting into the top 10. Very, very close to that. And more guys than not, seventh round and later, had a better chance of getting in there, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to their fourth and fi- uh, fifth round cohorts there. But, uh, I mean, James, do you have any thoughts initially? And would you recommend a zero running back theory in any of your leagues? Uh- I wouldn't recommend it. I came into this discussion when you, you know, sent out the prep sheet and we kind of looked at a couple articles about it. I came in thinking it was, it was completely absurd and I wasn't in at all. 
But as I read about it and, and, you know, looked at a couple instances where people used it, I, I get it. I do get where the philosophy comes from. I get that it definitely can work. You know, if you hit, but it all comes down. First of all, I think in any situation like this, you've got to clarify that this is a league size thing. I mean, if you're in a 10 team league or a 12 team league, oh, it's yeah. going to be very, very different than in a 16 team league or an 18 team league or whatever. So, so those caveats aside, um, Personally, I don't. I'm not going to do it myself. I don't buy into it. I get the idea that if you can just hit on four receivers in the first four rounds, or get a, a Grank, a Gronk, or a Graham, and then three legit receivers end up with a with a Brandon Marshall and a you know an AJ Green, and find a way to just use all your top picks on these top flight receivers. I get it. I get how it can work, especially in a PPR format. I think it could really work, though. I think those receivers are going to go a little quicker in a PPR format, so it might be tougher to pull that off. But my old thing is just, you know, the idea of, all right, so maybe you say you take rounds four, three, and just guess on running backs. You're not guaranteed to hit on any of those. And, yes, you might get lucky with one. You might get lucky with two, and that's how this thing really works. But I think it's all coming back to luck. And, again, also where you're drafting. Look, if I had the first pick or the second pick or the third pick, I'm sorry. I'm going to take LaShawn McQuay. I'm going to take Jamal Charles. I'm going to take Matt Forte. I'm going to take Adrian Peterson because those guys have shown on a year-to-year basis that they can contribute, that they're going to give you something barring injury. And, again, the whole injury thing is, you know, yes, in running backs do get hurt more. But football is a violent game. It's a game where people get hurt, and you can't go into a draft. You can look at a guy who's constantly injured and say, all right, I don't want to draft that guy too high because he's got an injury history. But you can't look at a Peterson, a McCoy, a Forte, and say, oh, they're a running back. They could get hurt. I'm going to take a a wide receiver instead. I I think that's silly. I I think you have to take best player available. I think you have to go, especially in those first four rounds, you're trying to get someone – who you can rely on, who's going to give you points on a week-to-week basis. And if injuries happen, they happen. But I, I, I'm personally, I, I can't see myself ever employing this strategy in a league that actually matters. Yeah, if you're in, and I think a couple of authors make that out, and I know Evan Silva's is has said that as well. It's like, if you have the opportunity to draft those top guys, don't pass on them. But anything past that, I don't know. I kind of like it, Tone. I, I, I really do. Like, I think that when we talk about if you're in, you know, five and down and you want to go, man, I mean, if you want to go Calvin Johnson and somehow get Jimmy Graham or whatever on the back end in a PPR league and just keep hitting those things, I think that is insanely more valuable with those assets coming around. Because if one of those running backs goes down, it, you you are pretty much in the same spot that you are as your other competitors anyway. And maybe I'm, you know, getting too much into it, but. How do you feel about that kind of strategy if you're out of the top tier running backs? Would you consider doing it? You know, I, I think I would consider in a hybrid sort of version of that, which uh, seems like a, a, a an easy way to go. But so so what I, I'm typically thinking, I'm looking at per, perhaps your 10, 11, 12 in your draft. Again, a lot of this depends on the kind of draft you are. A lot of expert drafts, these big high money drafts, they're going to be drafting a lot of receivers in the first round. Your your sort of uh, your work group or your buddies, you still see a lot of that value based drafting. A lot of running backs going off the board first. I'm drafting 12th in my home league, and I'm very much considering going receiver receiver just because I know uh, that you know there's going to be two of the top six guys left. Absolutely. So I can easily end up with a Demarius Thomas and a Brandon Marshall on my team and come back and draft later. I think I think the key to this 
is the kind of fantasy football uh, player you are, how attentive you are. You really have to be on top of it. A lot of times what's going to happen is you're going to find that diamond in the rough on the waiver wire. And if you have the opportunity, because you're paying a lot of attention, to grab that guy on the waiver wire who ends up being your second running back or your third running back for the entire season, then do it. If you're the guy who's on top of it all the time, then then do a version of that. And I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. If you want to take your first, you know, a lot of these are saying take your first running back in round five or six. I don't think I've got the balls to do that. (laughs) I just, I would be, what would happen is I would take my first running back in round five, and then I would take a running back every round after that for the next nine rounds because I'd be panicked. And I don't think I want to live with that kind of panic in my life. So I think I'm going to probably, you know, uh, recommend you, you're going to, even if you do a version of this, get yourself a running back in the first four rounds. If you, if you're totally comfortable having Bishop Sankey be your number one running back, which I have no problem with, and you end up getting him in the fifth round or the fourth round, okay, that sounds reasonable. If, you, if you're if you going to go for Andre Ellington and you can get him in the third round, then, yeah, you go wide receiver, wide receiver. Just don't put yourself in a position where you're scrambling and you end up having to neglect other positions because you get running backs for five, six rounds to try and make up for your lack of them in the beginning. Yeah, and, and real quick, John, let me jump into just something what Tony said there too, just to, to clarify as well. Like there there are leagues where you can just be, you know, omnipresent on the wire and, and pick guys up as soon as anything happens or as soon as, you know, that the, you have the opportunity. If someone goes down, if you're the first to the wire, you get him. But there are also leagues that have fab budgets and there are also leagues that have waiver orders that don't let you pick up anyone until, you know, it goes through that waiver order. So even being aware and on top of the wire, a lot of times isn't going to get you the player you want. So it's not something that you can count on going into the draft season. The one thing I will say about this, if you're in an auction draft, it makes even more sense not to do it. Um, I mean, uh, to do it, excuse me, to do the zero running back theory, because, you know, I'm just looking at a, a couple of different values here and, you know, you could have, you could have, Julius Thomas and AJ Green for the same price as oof I mean any of the two running backs that would be the second through the third or fourth round there um and you have guys down that are you know you're uh, Dante Freeman's uh Devonte Freeman excuse me for 5 for 5 bucks you Jeremy Hills for 6 bucks your uh you know Terrence Wests for $9 your Danny Woodheads for $9 I think there are some potential values in there that are awesome and you could grab at pretty much any part of the time there. Uh, I am too a little weary of it. And I, I, we're talking off air. It's like, oh, I think I'm going to try it. And, you know, I'm in a dynasty league and I, I traded up to get uh, Shady and Forte going into the next three or four years. So it's kind of easy for me to say that. I was like, oh, yeah, guys, this is great. But I, I do, I am curious. I, I do want to try it. I have a 12 team league, it's a snake style draft. Everything's PPR. In a PPR league, I think. There, there is some value to it. Again, just like Tony said, though, you have to be up at three fifteen in the morning on the waiver wire. You- and also, I was going to say, this is the opportunity. This is the time. Get on and do your mock drafts. Do them on three yes. different sites so you don't, you know, see yeah, the same thing. And then take a look. What does your team look like after you've done this? Do you look at it and go, I could not live with this team. This team would make me very sad. People would throw things at me, and I would deserve it. So. <laughs> Yeah, ahead, just yeah, do yeah, do your mocks and then then and then see how comfortable you are with it. If you if you could not imagine yourself going into the season with that team, you know, that's what those things are for. 
Yeah, and I think, John, the point you made, brought about an auction is just an interesting point in, in relation to snakes to begin with because I, I almost feel like in an auction draft you could do it without really having to do it because it, there's always those deals in an auction draft where a, a, a set of running backs are going to go cheaper than expected or a set of receivers are going to go cheaper than expected. There's always going to be values in an auction draft that may not necessarily be there in a snake draft. So I, I think that's a, a very different scenario. Yep, absolutely. And um, speaking of all different types of scenarios, one of the lovely things that we always like to talk about on the show, aside from running backs, is quarterbacks because we think, well, I shouldn't say we. I think they're one of the the second most important positions that you could be doing, but that doesn't mean you have to draft them early. And I am a firm believer in never drafting a quarterback until you get into the eighth or ninth round, and especially with what the NFL has been producing out of the last few years, everybody. I mean, you've got great quarterbacks uh, for fantasy, I should say. I mean, they if you had Nick Foles last year, great numbers. If you had... Andy Dalton, pretty great numbers last year. I think it's okay if you want to take one of the top quarterbacks in the first few rounds there, but anything outside of that, I mean, you're waiting forever, forever for a quarterback, and you're still going to have a great team. But wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that as well. Tony, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, and everybody's sort of experts around, uh, you know, from from everywhere are always sort of say the same thing about waiting for a quarterback. And and for the most part, I agree with that. I think if you're going to wait for a quarterback, I think it's important to back him up quickly, though. I think the earlier you draft a quarterback, the longer you can wait for the backup. You sort of trust your Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, what have you, uh, to do well. And you don't need to run out right away and get a backup. That being said, if you do wait till the eighth round, which is a totally legitimate thing to do. Uh, again, in more expert drafts where you have a lot of people subscribing to these same sort of notions, everybody can wait longer because everybody is going to wait longer. Um, and, and so go for it. Um, but I do think if you want to wait and say, grab somebody like we were talking, Philip Rivers, who I think is an excellent late round pick, uh, in which case you can wait even beyond the eighth round to get somebody like him. Uh, and feel totally comfortable having him start every week, uh, which is amazing since he's ranked as about the 15th quarterback overall. You end up someone like him. I just say back him up pretty quickly. You wait till the eighth round. You have no problem backing him up in the ninth or 10th um, just to make sure that you've got your bases covered. But yeah, go ahead and wait on quarterback. Fill up those positions. Yeah, I agree in theory to a point. I think it, again, depends on the type of league. You know, six point per passing touchdown leagues, even though it's all relative stats are relative to their positions. Uh, I still think that you go quarterback a little earlier in those types of leagues. Um, but I, I think it really comes down to the fact that if we're talking about Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or maybe even Aaron Rodgers, you take them super high. You just do. I, I, I agree. I'm not going to take them in the first eight picks or so. But after that, I would go either Manning or Brees for some of the other options at running back or wide receiver. Uh, but I think after those top guys, then you really do wait. I, I think that's where the caveat comes in. But having I mean, like you look at what Manning did last year and granted it was the the greatest fantasy season greatest real season a quarterback maybe has ever had but even still he did have that season he's put up 55 touchdowns and that's something where the you know the i guess the argument for for taking a quarterback later is that the quarterbacks in the in the three to, to 12 range are pretty much all the same you know you're gonna get close to four thousand yards and somewhere in the 25 to 35 touchdown range and it's kind of hard to pick who's gonna do what and thus you may as well wait and just take guys on the back end of that 
and you'll have the same numbers. But I think for a guy like Breeze, who gets 5,000 yards every single season, or a guy like Manning, who you know just had the best season for a quarterback in the history of football, I think you really do have to take those guys early. And uh, just some of those uh, late-round quarterbacks that we were talking about, and, and Tony had mentioned one, Rivers, I think, is absolutely a, a nice big steal right now. Between uh, him and Cutler and Big Ben, I mean, is there? I, that's pretty much rivers across the board for all of us, right? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's, I, it's I, not a slam I'd dunk. Like, but. I, yeah, it's exactly. It's not a slam dunk, and I actually like. I like all three this year. I think they all have value, and I, I think Cutler, if he can stay healthy in that Trestman offense, has a chance to be a, a really nice, you know, guy you take as the tenth to fifteenth quarterback off the board and ends up being a top five, top seven guy. But I, I think just based on on safest guy out of those three i think it's rivers yeah again with those quarterbacks and when i say taking them a little bit late i i also of course uh, agree with james there there is a threshold there is a number that once you get past a certain position you do have to take peyton manning you do have to take drew Brees or aaron Rodgers. you have to set that that threshold yourself right so if it's the 24th pick overall and you go through two rounds and one of those three guys is still available you can't afford not to take them at that point. So, yeah, while I do typically take guys late, there is that threshold. And if everybody does go the other direction uh, and take wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs in the first two rounds uh, with only one or two quarterbacks off, you almost have to take one of those guys if they're still available. Yeah, and also, can I give a little public service announcement too, just like Tony did about make sure you go out and do your mocks. Know your league rules. Big time, like every little ounce of them. I'm in a league that gives one point for every yard passing. It's insanity. Wow, the scores are like 330 to 290. It's insane. But guess what? You know what? You need to know that. You need to know that type of stuff. You need to know what leagues give what points for, for what skills. And thus, in a league like that, you know, a quarterback is going to be more valuable just because yeah. they're going to be putting up 70, 80 points. Excuse me. I think it's a... A point, yeah, no, it's a point per yeah, yard. It's a right? point for every yard, but yeah. a point per yard. It's crazy. It's crazy. So they're going to be putting up, you know, ridiculous numbers, and, and thus know your league rules, know what is worth what in your league, because that's going to make a big difference on draft day. Yeah, I, 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 I have been in one of those leagues before, and I actually didn't know we were doing that. I, I read it as point one, you know, just like the the standard what it is, and everybody started drafting quarterbacks in the first round. I was like. You guys are idiots. This is great. <laughs> and, yeah, it turns out that, you know, putting an average just in yards of 30 points on the board, not to mention whatever the touchdowns and stuff they do. I think both yeah. of those leagues, your guys actually meant to do point one, but then wanted to not look like idiots and said, oh, no, 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 that's what I meant to say. Yeah, that's, one, what, one, that's, one, that's, what that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's usually how it always works out. Um, uh, we're going to get out of here, but before we go, uh, Tony, James, anybody moving up your board right now? You know, who I'm looking at right now, and obviously this is going to happen after the first preseason game. You're going to see people do some good things, and you're going to get excited about them. But I was kind of a little bit high on him already, and that's Bishop Sankey in Tennessee. Hey, now. Uh, I, I love this kid. You know, my all of my feelings about uh, rookie pass catchers, tight ends, and receivers do not at all apply to rookie running backs. It's just not the same thing. I'm happily uh, drafting rookie running backs for my team, depending on where they fall to me. And Bishop Sankey is the one that I'm most interested in right now particularly where he's going so we're looking at some adps putting him right around the 22nd overall running back puts him coming to you in the fourth round he's an absolute steal in the fourth round he's going to be the primary ball carrier only guy behind him is sean green nobody's afraid of sean green maybe he'll steal a couple of goal line carries 
Uh, but I still think Sankey's going to catch some balls out of the backfield. He's going to be the primary guy. I think he's going to get a lot of touches this year. And if he is there for you in the fourth round, you must take him. The uh, University of Iowa is going to write you a stern letter, sir. A stern letter. Uh, <laughs> James, who you got? Well, obviously, Le'Veon Bell. No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> Um, I'm going to go Rashad Jennings. Uh, I think that Jennings is kind of being a little underrated here. I think you look at a lot of lists. He's in the the 20 to 25 range in running back. And I I think he could very easily be a top 20 running back this season. I I know Andre Williams might take a little bit of work from him, but I think he's the guy in New York. I think he's going to be a workhorse. I think he proved last year with Oakland when given the chance that he can be a workhorse. He's not going to be anything flashy. He's not going to be a guy who as the starter has a chance to be a top five back in the league, unless he gets unbelievably lucky with touchdowns. Uh, But But I think that Jennings is going to be someone who you can count on on a week-to-week basis to put up points for you. I think he'll get catches in a PPR. I just think Jennings is kind of getting a little underrated on that, you know, kind of porous Giants offense, which I think will be a little bit better. I think they shared up the line a little bit. I like McAdoo there. Uh, So I I think Rashad Jennings could be a decent little bit later play and should be going a little bit higher than he is. I gave him a lot of hate coming out, but I'm I'm – I'm starting to come around on it. I just think that there will be some gold line steals there, but you're right. He'll put up, he'll put up some decent points there. Um, He'll be consistent. I think is what you can look at him as when you're getting into that range of the, the, you know, 18 to to 30, like Bishop Sankey, who who I actually like too. I think he's in the best position uh, of running backs, you know, but, um, I just think that Jennings is someone you can count on more. Like, you know what you're going to get from him, and he's not going to be a bust if you take him in that fifth, sixth round range or whatever. He's going to at least get be someone you could, at worst, at worst, stick in a flex and count on every single week, and at best, be a number two running back. Absolutely. And um, guys, get ready to, uh, you know, get out the homer horn here. But uh, I, I got to say, Zach Ertz is moving up my board a little bit here. Um, <laughs> you don't say. I think that. Um, but I uh, and not by much. Uh, you know, I still have all the all the proper weapons in front of him, Pitta and Olson, and I take Reed over him. But I'm going to move him up above Kyle Rudolph because I, I right now where he's at, I think it's great value. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's just l- put all the cards on the table. I'm not so sure what's going to happen with their wide receiving position. What I do know is Ertz is going to get open a lot. And he's going to get a lot of catches. So especially in a PPR league, I think you move him up maybe a spot or two uh, as it is right now. Continue to look at that in the preseason as well as far as he goes into, you know, the first and, uh, excuse me, the second and the most important third games. I really think they're keying out on him. He's starting to go out in the, you know, to some expositions and things like that. So just to keep it in mind, I know it's a homer pick, but I enjoy it and you can't stop me, so. I like that pick. I think that I think that's a good call. I think yeah, Ertz second, is, uh, second year tight end. Second year, yeah. Yep, second year in the offense. I think Kelly know, knows how he wants to use him now, uh, and and he's clearly just a super athletic, you know, talented kid. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I think he's going to be a big goal line. Uh, excuse me, red zone option for them as well. So uh, I think there's a lot of potential for Absolutely. Ertz. Well, uh, we're going to wrap things up here, but we'll be back next week for sure. So for uh, James Elter, for Mr. Tony Gasali, for myself, John Barchard, we thank you so much to listening to This Week in Fantasy. This episode of This Week in Fantasy has been brought to you by Eagles Almanac, the 2014 edition.
The Eagles' Almanac includes detailed analysis, essays, scouting, statistics, and more from the likes of Shil Kapadia, Tim McManus, Jimmy Kemsky, Tommy Lawler, and Bleeding Green Nation's own Brandon Lee Gowton. You'll get in-depth access to the play breakdowns of Chip Kelly's dynamic offense. See how LaShawn McCoy can build on his record-setting season. Seeing exactly what Nick Foles' ceiling is. And of course, your guide to the important art of buying an Eagles jersey. The 2014 Eagles Almanac. Grab it now at eaglesalmanac.com. Mm-hmm.